Hi, if you are tuning in now to episode 37, you should really go back and listen to episode 36 because that is part one of this two-part discussion on the first half of the Declaration of Independence with more to come where Alan and I try to explain why we think not sufficient attention is being paid to it and we go into a careful analysis of Israel's Declaration of Independence. So if you've listened to part one, continue and enjoy. If not, go back and listen to the previous episode, episode 36. In recent decades, they returned in their masses, referring to the modern Zionist movement that begins in the middle of the 19th century. That's Mike talking. Pioneers, uh, immigrants, illegal or otherwise, is implied by the document, because in Hebrew it's mapilim, which are immigrants, you know, breaking international rules to get there. Pioneers, mapilim, and defenders, they made deserts bloom, revived the Hebrew language, built villages and towns, and created a thriving community, controlling its own economy and culture, loving peace but knowing how to defend itself, bringing the blessings of progress to all the country's inhabitants, and aspiring towards independent nationhood. So what are they talking about there? Uh, that's a beautiful... That's a beautiful description of the early Zionist movement until the founding of the state, right? Look, these guys who founded the state, they brought the concept across the board of whether they were political Zionists, social Zionists, of practical Zionism. The idea that the only way you're going to get a state is if you actually do something and you start building the state before you declare it. I mean, Ben-Gurion, who's standing on the stage reading this document on May 14th, 1948, had made Aliyah in 1904, 1905, 04. So, I mean... 1904 is the critical year for leadership of making Aliyah. A.D. Gordon, Ben-Gurion, Rav Kook. Um, well, those, sec- those guys who came in the second wave, those second waivers, the second Aliyanikim, they're the ones who end up being the ones who build the state. So they're, he's talking, I think, absolutely fairly with decades of hard work that went into this project. Um, that 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 the, he, but that the document is saying is connected to thousands of years of Jewish culture. It's not an again. The Zionists, the, the Zionists built the first electric company in this land. I think maybe even the Middle East. But I'm not sure about that, but certainly in this land. That that's major. That's infrastructure. They built infrastructure. Well, the first factories. The first. Yeah. I mean, on a on a human infrastructure level, uh, the first unions. The first. Uh, well, not the first banks, but they built banks. Yeah, they no, built yeah. not the first bank, but they built banks. They and, and it all comes out of my my favorite place to guide in the entire country, Chavat uh, Kinneret, the Kinneret Farms, where it, w- it it was basically a think tank for all these different things: the Haganah, the banks, the unions. All came out of of uh, conventions that were held there. Yeah, the so- south of the Kinneret, all those kibbutzim, was the cradle of the modern state. But, but what the document is going out of its way to say is that this is, this is not an aberration, that this is a natural progression, that you had, we founded our statehood, we, we gained national identity, we were incredibly creative and contributed to human civilization, we were exiled, and through that exile, that's the aberration, that's the weird part of Jewish history, they're saying. And now we're fixing it. As we've always wanted to. I mean, that's the classic Zionist, you know, classic Zionist idea. Sure is. So, and then it turns. I just had to call it out. I know. It makes warming everyone's cockles. I don't know what a cockle is, but mine are warm. Is this? <laughs> yeah, it goes with my podcologist. Um, uh, and now it turns to political Zionism in the year, uh, and it's interesting that it gives the Hebrew year. 
because officially the state of Israel uses the Jewish calendar. Uh, the year 5657, which is, you know, 1897 in the Western calendar, at summons of the spiritual father of the Jewish state, Theodor Herzl, the first Zionist Congress convened and proclaimed the right of the Jewish people to national rebirth in its own country. This right was recognized in the Balfour Declaration of the 2nd of November 1917 and reaffirmed in the mandate of the League of Nations, which in particular gave international sanction to the historic connection between the Jewish nation. The, the official translation says people. But the, the, the actual mandate document says national home uh, between the Jewish people and Eretz Israel and the right of the Jewish people to rebuild its national home. So you, you, I, I was surprised that you munched those two uh, paragraphs together because there's a, very, there's a very distinctive point here that I think they're making. By first talking about Herzl, uh, the mistake that we often make is, oh, we have the legitimacy to be there because of Balfour Declaration, because the British and their allies told us we could be here. The document is saying no. We declared our rights and willingness and wanting to go home. Our natural right. right. We got and, and asserted it. Right. And then the nations of the world recognized what we asserted as our natural right. Um, and that's a very, very important, um, I think, emphasis. It's subtle. Why do you think it's so important? Because we see that it, it's not because of the, the nations of the world that we have the rights to be here. It's because of everything that came before that, that the nations of the world... Rec- or at least the allies of First World War, uh, who won, who were victorious, they recognized our statements of our historical connection, our cultural, our statehood, and the fact that we are now saying we want to go back home, that we were exiled, and we actually get up and said we want to go back home. And so, therefore, it, it, it's something that comes from the Jewish people and then is recognized from the outside. I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Why is it important to get recognition from the outside? A- outside of a real politic thing, obviously you have to live in the world and all that, but th- there's certain something that you declare something, but you want it affirmed by those around you. And when people around you affirm it, then you realize, okay, now it's something real that I can actually do and accomplish. Well, I would put it a little bit differently. That, that, uh, I, not disagreeing with you, just expressing a little bit differently, that because our, we formed in the Iron Age, you know, in the Second Temple period is during the Roman era, that uh, our definitions of nationality have very much changed in the modern world. And the question is, although the Zionist vision sees it as a natural progression that this ancient nation still retains its national identity and therefore its national right to self-rule in the modern era. So, yeah, we think that. But the confirmation from the community of nations means, okay, Cool. So that that's a, that that validation is not just as you say it's not just pragmatically important but that confirmation is this isn't a political theory that a few fringe Jews have. This is that the language that the Zionists use has been uh, accepted by the communications as normative and uh, functional. In other words, we have to work to make this happen. Alan smacking a fly off my ear or a mosquito. Oh, that's even worse. Um, but, so, I mean, I'm glad we shared that moment with you, listeners. And I think that that's, uh, in other words, Zionism is a modern adaption of an of of the old Jewish concept of nationality, right? And those things obviously change throughout history. And Zionism is an adaptation by that and saying, okay, we have a modern nationalist movement like everybody else in the 19th and 20th century, and we want you to recognize that. And, in fact, that's what the world does. They recognize that. 
Now, of course, we know there are those who rejected that. We'll get to that later. Well, the rejection is often from, from groups that don't work with, culturally don't work within that international consensus about what nation states are meant to be and, have, and struggle with identifying that idea. But within the community of nations that understand, that have this shared vision, this, I, I would have to say, Western version, Western idea of the nation state, we fit in very nicely. And then only after that, now we've, we've established this very fundamental idea of, of really our legitimate rights to uh, declare our home here, our nation here, our state here, th- how that interacts with the world. And now only does now does the document turn to um, practical catastrophes of being an exile people. Yeah, this paragraph is placed very intentionally and is worded very clearly. The catastrophe which recently befell the Jewish people, the massacre of millions of Jews in Europe, was another clear demonstration of the another, another, another clear demonstration of the urgency of solving the problem of its homelessness by reestablishing in Eretz Israel the Jewish state, which would open the gates of the homeland wide to every Jew and confer upon the Jewish people the status of a fully privileged member of the comedy of nations. In other words, the Holocaust isn't a defining event which justifies Zionism. It's just part of a long series of events of the aberration status of a diaspora nation that is more is the is the final piece of evidence in the case that we have to fix this and go back to being normal. Right. It's a culmination of what it means to be a landless people, a stateless people, and what can happen to you when you are. It also it, it's also brought in so late in the in the historical section, I think oh because chronologically that's where it comes. After after explaining and, and let me put it to the question to you this way. Right, but that's also important because, I mean, maybe we're going to say this, sorry, but, but in other words, it's also saying that, wait a second, we wanted to go home before the Holocaust. We, we established this idea before. It was recognized by the nations of the world before. The League of Nations is after World War I, long before World War II. And, 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 and then the Holocaust is only coming to re-emphasize why we should have had it because I think there is this underlying little bit nudge that if we had had our state there would not have been a holocaust there may have been terrible massacre like everybody else in Europe because there was massacres throughout all of Europe during World War II not saying that wouldn't have happened to the Jews and deaths in the tens of millions including tens of millions of civilians correct but the Jewish state in Europe would have been different had they had we had our own state and it had been founded before World War II as was the intention at the end of World War I so maybe this is a subject for another podcast, but the Zionist movement and the Holocaust, two separate historical uh, events, would the state have existed without the Holocaust? This document, I think, is arguing, sure. Or it says it should have. It should have. It's, it's, it's how horrible that it wasn't in time. Right. And but but would the state would exist without the Zionist movement? This document is saying, of course not. The state is a fulfillment of the Zionist movement. It's an achievement of the Zionist movement. It is not... The state wouldn't have existed without the Zionist movement, but it should have existed without the Holocaust and maybe could have averted a lot of the Holocaust had it been fulfilled earlier. Is that a fair reading? 100%. 100%. And I think that, you know... Uh and I think that's actually true. <laughs> well, it does have the benefit. Our narrative, the Zionist narrative, has the benefit of actually 
comporting with historical reality. That's a good thing. Uh, Now comes, I think, what I, for me, and maybe you can defend this, for me is a very dated paragraph. It's real politics. I think it's real politics. It goes back to your question, what would have happened without politics? Let's read it before we... In the Second World War, the Jewish community of this country contributed... Survivors, you missed. You missed a paragraph. Survivors of the Nazi Holocaust. Oh, sorry. Survivors of the Nazi Holocaust in Europe, as well as Jews from other parts of the world, continued to migrate to Eretz Yisrael, undaunted by difficulties, restrictions, and dangers, and never ceased to assert their right to a life of dignity, freedom, and honest toil in their national homeland. Now, I would say that's the paragraph. That's the dig at the world. If you had helped us along and we had had a state earlier, or if you had let us achieve our victory earlier, then perhaps, uh, you know, uh, we wouldn't have had, the, a third of our people wouldn't have been murdered. But now that the, the cow has left the barn, at least let us try to, let's try to, you know, how, how horrible would it be if you didn't let us try to, you know, to recover from some of that damage? Since we're doing what I've come now to realize we should be calling the, this episode or Chavruta uh, on, the, on the Declaration of Independence, um, they seem to be mixing two things here. One, I'm going to do a little bit of text thing, right? Survivors of Nazi Holocaust in Europe, as well as Jews from other parts of the world, is that, I mean, is that chronological? Or are they saying also throughout time? And it's why they never mention the 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 different aliyot people throughout time have come to Israel, um, to the land of Israel. Is that what they're doing here, or this is? I don't think so. I think this is talking about post World War II. Interestingly, it's before the massive influx of Mizrahi Jews into Israel, which will then become the majority of citizens of the state. But it's before that happens. That's going to be instigated by the War of Independence, which is going to start the day after Ben Gurion reads this. Yes and no. I mean, there are there are those there are those Mizrahi communities turning Zionist also I mean their own form in Egypt they have the, the oh, and some are coming but the massive influx isn't going to come well the massive influx will be of course because they get forced out or pressured or this and that but I'm just saying like uh, whatever yeah so you think it's not it never mentions that so I'm noticing that it never mentions that in the earlier the, the, that continued connection because Jews always you know, even if it was a, a, a one or two, but Jews were always living here and always and always made Aliyah. So the way I read that is in the earlier paragraphs about always. That's in the historical, and this is in the post World War II era. We're still coming in. No, but they don't mention it in the earlier, do they? Uh, I think that's implied earlier in the was it the second paragraph. Uh, and, and second and the third the praying and hoping and every successful generation reestablishing themselves in the ancient homeland in other words oh I just had a I just had an insight into that second paragraph that we found difficulty with before impelled by this historic impelled by this historic and traditional attachment Jews strove in every successive generation to reestablish themselves in their ancient homeland maybe that's what we're talking about those Jews always made Aliyah Oh, so jerks that we are, we call the Declaration of Independence a liar, but it's talking about Jews who moved to Israel to build a life here over the course of the thousand, two thousand years of diaspora. Wow, we are bums. No, this is great. This is like, like how many times have you taught this and gone through this? And that's why you have to do chavrusas on things. Well, I think every, I think, I think there is a Jewish obligation to study our right, Yeah, it's all in there as you turn it. But this is, I think, this is a a foundational Jewish document of Jewish history. In other words, 
I don't know if there'll be a sequel to the Bible. I know some people think there are, but that's not. That's a different subject for a different religion. But within within Jewish culture, will we have will we have a new canon of classic books? Um, I think this goes into the canon. So the fact that we're giving it this level of attention, I think is, I think that's what we're arguing that it's worthy of this level of attention. And here in real time, we just had uh, what in the. You know the study hall and the Beit Midrash, you call a chidush, like yeah. Which I assume the, uh, I mean, I don't know if we're gonna, without getting into the issue of authorial intent, what did they mean when they wrote it? Just how we're reading it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Okay. Um. So here, I think it is talking about, but let's agree then that we're talking here about post World War II immigration. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what confused me because Dan brought up before, but now it makes sense. So now comes the one I was talking to you about earlier, the, the real, I think, to me, that lands on my ear as an anachronism. In the Second World War, the Jewish community of this country contributed its full share to the struggle of the freedom and peace-loving nations against the forces of Nazi wickedness and, by the blood of its soldiers and its war effort, gained the right to be reckoned among the peoples who founded the United Nations. Is that why is that an important thing to say that that Jews from what was then Palestine, Hagananikim, and other Jews from Palestine fought in World War II and are on the Allied side of World War II and therefore belong to be part of the belong to. I don't think it's, it's mob, you know, like what it's just stop, like I think it's actually very they're saying a very deep thing. New go say more, which is that we we are ideologically aligned with the, the the progressive world with the world that, that is shaping right and we reject fascism um, now we get tricky between communism and and democracy whatever but but I think they're saying we we, we are with you we think like you we're ideologically part of you um, and we are a nation state like you and want to you know, we want to establish a state that looks like you. We have earned our right to be part of the post-World War II world order. We've paid for our right to be a member. We've paid our dues, and we are ideologically well within those parameters. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, that, I think that they're very, they feel very committed to that. I would argue that that world order is shifting. The sands of that world order are certainly shifting under our feet to a, cer- a certain extent. So it lands as a bit of not anachronism, but is but is but is lost in time. In other words, it's it it speaks to us less today, I think, than at the moment, which is fine. Certainly, the American Declaration of Independence, which this document largely is was inspired. This document has its uh, it, I, most of the American Declaration of Independence is talking about events that don't speak to us through time it's complaining about different things the british did any any text any document that gets you know fixed in time is has its historical references and you have to understand those historical references and how important those references were to the people of the time that's you know i guess i should feel more impressed at how little this document is limited in time at how how universal it is and it's you know, you could see this entering a canon that two, three thousand years ago people are reading it and still feels fresh. Well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I'm just going to be play devil's advocate a bit, or push back on you know those people in the postmodern world who are pushing for a world without borders. You know, a, a John Lennon imagined world where there are no nation states and that nation states are, are a thing of the past and are what's causing friction and the problems. Would say this is you know an ancient. Don't talk to me about 
national self-determination because that's not that's not really mean anymore in a, in a Europe that is uh, you know uh, borderless or what have you. So could be. I guess we'll have to check back in in two thousand years and yeah. see. See, so uh, remind us, listeners, if we don't check back in in two thousand years. What podcast would that be? <laughs> I can't count that high. <laughs> would we still have something to say? You think we're doing? You think we're doing a a podcast about culture and politics because we can do math? <laughs> um. Okay. Partition plan. On November 29, 1947, the United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution calling for the establishment of a Jewish state in Eretz Yisrael. The General Assembly required the inhabitants of Eretz Yisrael to take such steps as were necessary on their part for the implementation of that resolution. This recognition by the United Nations of the right of the Jewish people to establish their state is irrevocable. And, and, and to your point earlier... It's a recognition of the right. It's not the creation of the right of a Jewish state. It's, a con- it's the next stage. It's the post-World War II recognition. We already had a major post-World War I recognition by the international community. Now we have one post-World War II. So uh, a question of language here. And I didn't look at it up in Hebrew, but this part where it says the General Assembly required the inhabitants of Eretz Israel, that's weird language because the General Assembly resolutions are not binding. Yeah. So how could they required? Well, because it's not binding, but it says, it, it tells the... Calling, the calling for... Yeah, right yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's a... It, this declaration itself is not a legally binding document in any way. It's, it's, it's reading that call for the local inhabitants to be prepared for the British to leave, and I forgot the exact language of uh, the partition uh, resolution, but it said, you know, bo- everybody should be ready, and it... I think it within X amount of time after the British leave, and certainly by October you have to be done. It, it it called for things for the local inhabitants to do. This document is leaving out the fact that it also called for an Arab state to be formed. Uh, why is it leaving that out? Um, because it's dealing with the establishment of a Jewish state, Israel. Why? Why would it? Yeah. We're not, we don't know. It's not. It's not a history lesson about from antiquity till today. It's a. It's a. It's a it's a declaration explaining the reasons and rights for the Jews to have a state. So that's not relevant to this. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned it in an earlier podcast around Yom Tzmuth, but we found it this year. The, the original date the British were supposed to leave was not May fourteenth, uh, fifteenth, but rather um, what would what would correspond to Tishabav in the in the Hebrew calendar of forty eight. Just classy. Yeah. And now I love this paragraph. Short and nails it. This right is the natural right of the Jewish people, I'm Yehudi, to be masters of their own fate, like all other nations, in their own sovereign state. Dude, dude, this is like, you know, we keep, they keep asking us to, like, write up, like, oh, what, what is our, like, you know, this, we have to just put this, you know, they put in office now, they put all these things of what we believe as a workplace. We've got to put this up on a poster. This has got to I'm saying, I'm saying, and, and we don't we don't turn enough to this document for for what it is the the foundational articulation of the right uh, and 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 a source of pride in the achievement of, of the state of Israel that the right of the of Am Yehudi of the Jewish nation to have their own state is as natural as the right of every other nation on earth to have their own state. And, and what does that mean to be have your own state? And I think that that's why this, the way they put it here, is so brilliant. Masters of their own fate. You cannot be a master of your fate if you are a guest and other 
you do not control the 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 means of your own um, governance under the British mandate the British helped the Jews along as long as that was within British interest because the responsibility of the British government is to take care of the citizens of Great Britain not the Jews and so where Jewish interests and British interests separate diverted the Jews would have to pay the price until you are in control of your own people and masters of your own destiny you will always be subject to the arbitrary needs of another people which is continues to be a problem today for Arabs who do, are not citizens of the state and don't have a voice I mean this is this is their problem in essence and, and, and Kurds you know and Kurds and uh, Kurds are definitely the Jews of I mean they, they just you know George H.W. Bush gets them to uh, help him fight Saddam Hussein in the first Gulf War they join the fight and then the American troops leave because they've achieved their goals and Hussein turns on those Kurds and because uh, the interests diverge you cannot have this is you cannot, you cannot rely on anybody else for your own um, fate <laughs> essentially and, and, we, and we should recognize that there are those peoples around the world today including the Palestinians who live in those situations I mean for me what's uh What's so potent about that statement is that that what we are, what Jews are asking for, is is the most natural, normal thing in the world. We want to resume our normal uh, nature and live like other nations. That we're not asking for something unique or unusual. That what we're asking for is absolutely natural and normal. Well, the uniqueness is is that nobody's done it after two thousand years. Nobody's been, ever been able to recon. So that's weird. Yeah. And that's what people are having trouble wrapping their heads around. So that's why the declaration says, yeah, that, that was weird. Wasn't that weird that we were like dispersed and in the diaspora? Okay, but now we're back. And by the way, that will show up again later in the document, which we'll probably have to do in a different episode that talks about one of the fundamental values is the ingathering of the exiles. Right. Well, that'll be the future. So we'll, we'll end for today's episode with the official statement accordingly we members of the people's council representatives of the jewish community of eretz israel and of the zionist movement are here assembled on the day of the termination of the british mandate over eretz israel and by virtue of our natural and historic right and on the basis of the resolution of the united nations general assembly hereby declare the establishment of a jewish state in eretz israel to be known as the state of israel we declare that with effect from the moment of the termination of the mandate being tonight, Erev Shabbat, the 6th of ER 5708, which is May 15th, 1948. Actually, it was before Shabbat. They didn't want to go into Shabbat so the religious people could sign. Until the establishment of the elected regular authorities of the state in accordance with the Constitution, which shall be adopted by the elected constituent assembly no later than October 1st, 1948. Oh, that's good news. Israel's going to have a constitution by October 1st, 1948. I'm looking forward to that. The war wasn't even over. Yeah. Uh, the People's Council shall act as a provisional council of state, and its executive organ, the People's Administration, shall be the provisional government of the Jewish state to be called Israel. Which, of course, was debated. That name was not a gimme name, right? It certainly was not, but I actually want to go back to something you kind of said sarcastically and funny about the Constitution. But I, I, they said that with all due seriousness. They weren't, you know, making up things here. I think they were very hopeful that by the... that You don't put it in the Declaration unless you think you can do it. So I'm saying that they were very, you know, positive that 
the war would be if there was a war. Kila, they knew there would be a war, but that it would it, it would be quick, and then they would. Uh, or at least they'd have manpower to worry about making the Constitution because not everybody's a soldier on the battlefront. I, I don't know what they thought. Clearly, in retrospect, it was unrealistic, but they didn't realize that at the moment of May 14th, 1948. They thought that by October, they could slap together some form of a Constitution. Because I, I think they saw, I think there was, I think there was, and they saw an incredible amount of unity at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why, what about the name? There were other. I, I find that fascinating. You, you like to talk about the name. You, you like. What if they called it Judea? We have that conversation. You know, would that change the way people perceived of us as being as Jews being from here or not? But I think it's a, just a very clear Zionist uh, Zionist message. Well, they had they had more Zionist names. They they threw around Ivria, uh, like the Hebrew land, or Zionia, or Herzliya. They thought of calling it. No, but you're seeing the Ben Gurion Zionism here coming through. Ben Gurion, as we as we know, was a biblical expert. He wrote many books and articles on the Bible, um, uh, and and part of the Zionist movement at that time was negating also the years of the diaspora. And going back to biblical Israel. In ways that some, I, I would say including me, feel is somewhat unhealthy. That much of a negation of all the historical accumulation and, and successes and, and culture and, 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 and creativity of the diaspora age, I think, is getting short shrift in a way that I think today most of Israel is really turning towards and trying to look for meaning in. But Ben Gurion was not. Ben Gurion was saying the, the diaspora is an aberration. Forget it ever happened. Right. And his his group are really saying that. And so they are going back to biblical Israel as a scene. And um, the land was called Eretz Israel. Um, there was, you know, uh, it, it, we were well at the time the state was a kingdom, so it was called Machut Yisrael, the kingdom of Israel. As I say, B'nai Yisrael, Machut Yisrael, Yisrael was the name for the all of the tribes together. Um, so I think that that's where they, they chose the word name Israel, clearly. Um, would it have been helpful if they called it Judea? Because then there would have been a clear link to Jews? I don't know, maybe. Um, well, it would have made this issue of Jewish identity and Israeli identity somewhat less complicated, but it would have made a whole bunch of other complications in its wake. And we can maybe do a podcast episode on that. What if they had named... I don't think anybody was taken seriously Ivria or Herzliya. But that's like that's like people who named their children like Yisraela. I have a, right. I have a sister-in-law whose Hebrew name is Yisrael. Oh, that's cute. That's just feminizing a, a male no, name. I'm just saying it's like a, like an aberration of like. You know. Right, but I, I think I think the big debate was between do we call it when the state was founded by Joshua in biblical times or by the Davidic dynasty when it opened its doors, or do we call it what it was called when the Romans closed its doors? And then it was called Judea. So I get why you call it Yisrael. We can do another episode on why I think. Clearly. The, the, what what would have way, been... By the way, that, that fits in also not only with Jewish, Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition, because we talk, you know, the ideal state is the Davidic state, right? We say, you know, the, the, the king, you know, the Messiah, Mashiach, is going to come from the Davidic dynasty. We, you know, David Melch Yisrael Chai Vekayam. That whole that whole idea of the Davidic state is the ideal state, so it makes sense, right? But I don't think that. Well, we'll do a different episode of that maybe. But I don't think monarchy is the is the no, no. is considered the optimal form of government. No, no, I meant in the in the in, like the crossing over of Jewish 
you know, idealism or idealism or whatever, I don't know what you call it, and, and Zionist ideal. You know, there is a crossover there. It's not like they took it out of thin air, is what I'm saying. Right, so I think that's going to have to wait for another episode where we get through what, what we can argue is the third or fourth parts of it, but certainly it's the second half of the document. Um, so we're that's the, and that's the vision for the state. What kind of state do we want to have? Now we told you why we have we've come home and why we have legitimate rights to be here and declare a state. So what is that state supposed to look like? What what is it supposed to be? And we'll have to do something of a checkup to see how we're doing. So we will leave our Declaration of Independence hanging in the middle at the Declaration. What will happen next? Will there be a state of Israel? What will, I'm just kidding. It's not a big deal. They declared the state. There is a state of Israel. The question is, the cliffhanger is what it's going to look like. Will there be a place to sign it? You don't know until you listen to our next exciting episode of Declaration of Independence, Chevruta Analysis. So, uh, signing off. Um, thanks so much, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. This has been JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge podcast. Please check out our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, for episodes, blog posts, and contact information. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you use for podcasts. But you knew that, right? Uh, you can follow our Facebook page at the Teacher's Lounge podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at juisraelgap. Please keep in touch with us with questions, comments, feedback, and suggestions. And if you know somebody who would enjoy our podcast in general or an episode in particular, we love it when people recommend us. Thank you, guys.